Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Ryan. Um, me and my wife, Cora, have been married for about three years, and we have three kids. Um, whoops, the daisies. But <laughs> here we are, and we love every minute of it. Um, we have been coming to City Church for about a year and a half, so we remember the days when we were in Shakespeare uh, and how wonderful that place was. And we were really excited to see when the body then got the chance to move to this building and to have some permanency here in this neighborhood and the, the opportunities that came with this new building and the new neighborhood. And I'm also really excited for the end of this month for City Week, um, where we're able to go out and to serve our community that kind of lives around here. Um, I've been working with Block Ministries for a little bit. Me and my wife, Cora, are both full-time there. And there's a couple things that we really like about working with Block. The first one is that we have the unique experience to love uh, vulnerable and marginalized communities and to share with them the hope that comes with Jesus. And the second is that Block requires all of our staff to live in the neighborhood that we're serving. And that positions us in a unique way to love our neighbors um, and to care for them and to to empathize with them in a really unique way. We, um, we really don't, ha- are, we're not a community service that provides services, but we, we have the opportunity to just spend time with our neighbors and to love them where we're at. And I think when I start to talk about neighbors, uh, we can start to kind of ask ourselves these questions where we find ourselves sometimes wanting to serve our neighbors but not knowing where to start. Or at times we Uh, find ourselves uh, disagreeing with things that people around us are doing because they might live their lives differently than we do. Um, And if you haven't found yourself in that place, that's okay. You probably will soon. Um, But before we get started, I would just like to talk about some of those things, but I would really love to just pray and kind of center our hearts uh, with the Lord. So if you wouldn't mind opening your hands just up in a posture to receive, um, let's pray. God, I pray for your presence in this space. Lord, that your name would be known and that you would teach us as a church to better love our neighbors. God, renew our minds and help us to view our neighbors as you view them. Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done through this body on earth as it is in heaven. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if we are going to talk about loving our neighbors and loving people, I think it's really important for us to start really where people kind of enter the scene. And I'm talking about Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, where people are created in the creation story. Um, So let's read that together. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And I want to focus in on the second part of that section, really verse 27, Um, because I think that I know in my life, I don't know if you've experienced this as well, but I I know for a fact that I am created in the image of God, right? I say that humbly, but I am created in the image of God. I know that other people who follow Jesus are created in the image of God. I know that most good people are created in the image of God. But what's a challenge for me to believe at times is that all people are created in the image of God, people that I disagree with. people that live their lives drastically different than me, uh, I have to remind myself constantly that they are also created in the image of God. And when I'm able to acknowledge that they are created in the image of God, I'm then reminded that they bear a piece of God's image. And when I remember that key truth, then I'm able to move to a place, from a place of judgment, 
to a place of appreciation and true adoration for who people are just because they bear a piece of God's image. So I think that we need to keep that in mind that everybody has something that's worth appreciating. Uh, in a little bit, you'll get to hear from Dwight. He's the director of Block Ministries. Um, and he shared a story with me really recently that I thought was really interesting. He uh, was taking a guy on a tour, and often if you're interested about the ministry that we do and you want to be a part of it, we'll first take you on a tour to see all the stuff that we do. And on this tour, this guy leans over to Dwight, and he goes, you know what, Dwight, I have never seen a drug dealer. And Dwight kind of chuckles, and he goes, well, there's one, and there's another, and there's another. And the guy goes, wow, I had, I had no idea that they were drug dealers. I just thought that they were people. And Dwight goes, well, they are people. Um, they just choose to live their lives differently than the rest of us. But, but they are still people, and they're still created in the image of God. And I think that what we have to remember is that um, there are people in our lives that we will come in contact with um, that live their lives differently than us. They might sell drugs. They might be in prostitution. Um, they can do a lot of things, but we have to remind ourselves that we are created in the image of God, so we can move to a place of appreciation and true adoration for who they are and how they're created. I do want to propose that if we are going to be a body that is good at being neighbors, we have to first be a body that is good at empathy. Um, and I think that often, uh, especially in today's uh, culture, empathy is a word that is used a lot. And empathy, the definition has become really muddied down. Um, but I think that empathy is something that really fuels and deepens connection and it validates emotion. So Brene Brown, she's a researching social worker. So what that means is that she is in the social working field and she does a lot of research. Um, she was real creative with that title. Um, but So she does a lot of research. And she does a lot of research specifically towards how people feel and really how to make them feel a true sense of belonging. And she says that one of the ways to make people feel this true sense of belonging is to start with empathy. And she defines empathy really simply as just feeling with people. Allowing yourself to experience the emotions that people are feeling and just simply feeling with them. Empathy isn't judging. Empathy isn't trying to find a solution. Even if it's in a good heart, that's not empathy. Empathy is just simply feeling with people. Um, the message version of the Bible was created by a guy named Eugene Peterson, and he wrote that in an effort um, to take harder pieces of Scripture and just make them more readable and easier for people pursuing Jesus to understand. Um, and in John chapter 1, 14, he says something that reminds me of the empathy of God. So let's read that together. Uh, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out. And I want to focus on that first part. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I think it gets easy for us to forget that Jesus was a neighbor. Jesus was, God took the form of human and became flesh and blood. And I, I don't want to take away from God's power or anything like that. But for the first time, God was human. God knew pain, physical pain, um, so you, you might be asking, what is so significant about God being human and being a neighbor? Well, I'll tell you, or Hebrews will tell you, um, chapter 4, verse 15. It is important, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
Jesus came to earth and he felt with us. He was with us in person and shows us through that really what empathy is about. Because through this act of empathy, Jesus ultimately mends one of the greatest connections ever broken. So there has to be something to this idea of empathy. Jesus did a lot in his life, um, specifically in those last three years that we read about. Um, And one of the passages that comes to mind when we talk about being a neighbor is Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. And in this, um, Jesus was interacting with some Pharisees and some Sadducees, and those were just different prominent sects of Judaism at the time. And they were sects that really valued knowledge and they valued power. Um, And they were interacting with Jesus, and one of them who had studied the law his entire life came up to Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, he said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So out of all the laws, Jesus could have picked any of them. He picked those two. And I think that's special for a couple of reasons. First, he's interacting with these people that treasured knowledge and treasured power. And they were saying, what is most important for me in following God? Is it for me to continue to pursue knowledge? Is it for me to continue to pursue power? And Jesus answers simply, no, it is for you to just love God. And it is for you to love your neighbor. So the way that we please God and the way that we become close to God is just to love him and to love our neighbor, which I think there's something super fascinating about that. And the second piece is that Jesus says the most important thing is for us to love our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all of our mind. And he says, then if you do that well, how could you not love your neighbor who is created in the image of the God that you are supposed to love with your heart, soul, and mind? So when I started working with Block and when I started moving into the neighborhood, um, I would often take walks around my house. And on the walks, I'd see a lot of different interesting things that I wasn't used to. Um, But one of the things that I saw that has stuck with me since, and um, it it did because I viewed it as wrong and it was weird and I didn't like it at all, but everybody had their grills on their front porch. And I grew up uh, in the Westchester Mason area, so where I lived, we put our grill on our back porch because when we were grilling out, we really wanted to be with our family. Uh, We wanted to spend time with each other and build and deepen those connections. So when I saw my new neighbors that had their grills on their front porch, I instantly moved to a place of judgment. I thought to myself, why do they not love their family? Why do they not want to be with their family? Why? Why? Well, maybe if they would just love their family, their problems would go away. But through being there uh, and through just proximity with people, um, I came to realize that the reason that their grills were on their front porch was because they also wanted to be with their family. The difference was is that their family was not just the people that were living in their house, but they were the people that were walking by on the street. They were the people that lived next door and two doors down. And that was something that was really important to them. Um, and I think because I was in a place initially of judgment that I missed initially that image of God that they bared, that, that desire to love their neighbors so well. And not only did it move me to that, but it also when I was able to sit in that empathy and feel with people, um, it empowered me to love them so much better and to love them for who they truly were. I think that as we talk about all of this and um, kind of this heady stuff for how do we love our neighbors well, it can be really, really good. And everybody's like, yeah, that sounds great. But then it's hard to move it into practice. 
Um, so we've been working in this, at Block at some really practical ways how we can love our neighbors well. So Dwight Young's going to come up and share some of that with us. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back with you. Um, when Maddie was talking earlier, we were meeting earlier about her life and journey, and she mentioned that she was struggling with depression, then she mentioned Glasgow. I, I made a joke. I said, oh, my gosh, you live in Glasgow, Kentucky, because I would understand where that would come from. I grew up in Kentucky, so don't take that personally. It's good to be with you, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, real quickly, we've got a few minutes together. I'm going to put up a phrase that I really want you to write down. This is how we have, at Block Ministries, me personally, have kind of really moved in how to do ministry amongst our neighborhood. And we want to encourage you to take the secular and turn it into sacred. This is a vital way for us as a church here in this neighborhood to do ministry amongst the neighborhood. So you need to find places. We passed out something this morning that we use a lot. It's pretty basic. We actually go into this and do a two or three hour training. But we're going to jump on this little card that you received and just kind of give some basic ideas of how we take the secular and really try to move it into the sacred. And normally that never happens in a building like this, right? <laughs> what you want to do with a building like this is invite the neighborhood into it at some point, but that's a whole other conversation Chris and I are, will talk about later, right? But if you're turning secular into sacred, what does that look like? You, you've got to find, first of all, in this neighborhood where people gather, where do people get together? In our neighborhood in Price Hill, it's usually on the street corners or around someone's particular home. So what you need to do then is go there. Uh, Fritz is with us today. And Cindy, hey guys. Fritz is one of our team and Cindy. And what Fritz does during the summer is down in Lower Price Hill, drag out a grill out of our garage onto the middle of the street. And we just start cooking. A lot of hamburgers and hot dogs go into making secular into sacred. So the first thing I would say is buy a grill and buy some hot dogs, and you will move to the sacred, okay? We spend a lot of time eating. Jesus spent a lot of time eating. We eat a lot, not eat well. We just eat a lot. But that eating brings fellowship. Understand what I'm saying? Fellowship happens where they are, not you inviting them to where you are. Where we are looks really too sacred for them. Where they are is very secular. We want to make that into the sacred. And it happens when we show up because who lives in us? The Holy Spirit. When we show up, it, became, it becomes sacred because God shows up. Now let me say this before we move on at all. If we can say this honestly, God is already doing a work. We need to join it. Please do not think you're going to create the work. Blog Ministries creates no new work. <laughs> we simply show up and join what God's already doing. I want to be clear about that. We go back to what was heard earlier. We are not the saviors. We have a savior. It's not us. That's Jesus Christ. We are there to be a part of that team. The same thing is true of the work. We do not create new work. We're not the geniuses behind the work. We simply show up and do what God is already doing. So one, find places where people gather. Go there. Figure it out. If everybody takes their dog to a certain place, take your dog. If you don't have a dog, borrow a dog. <laughs> if you don't like dogs, go find another place. That's all I'm saying. 
But be present in the neighborhood. you got to show up. One of the things we like to do is we walk. Everybody lives in the neighborhood. Those of you who live here, just walk. Uh, if you have little babies, that's perfect. If you're my age, you don't want little babies, borrow a baby. All right, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I have 20 grandkids. I'll borrow one. That's all I'm going to say. What that does when you're walking the children, you're, when you're, it just shows that you live here. It's, when, you, when you're just out and about and being present. I know that doesn't sound like much. Sounds kind of irrelevant, doesn't it? Uh, a good uh, guy that I've learned a lot from and no longer lives with us, Henry Nowen, one of the most intelligent guys you'll ever meet, said Christian leaders need to learn to be irrelevant. And they just need to learn to love people. So be irrelevant a little bit and just show up and find places where people gather. Be present in the neighborhood. One of the things this week alone... I pull down to West 8th Street where our, where our offices are. I usually go there once or twice a week. <laughs> Most of our time is spent on the street. But I pull into the parking lot <clears throat> right by Lynn Street, and there's a lot of homeless in our area right there. And in, in our parking lot, there's a guy lying face down uh, in the grass. So I'm on the phone. I get out of my truck. I start to walk to the office, and I see this guy. And so what... what some people would do would be normally what? Just get into the office, right? Do not engage with the homeless guy. What God has taught us is if God puts somebody in your way, even if he's lying down on your parking lot, don't walk over top of him. So feeling convicted and also guilty, <laughs> uh, I walk over and I tap the guy on the back I said, sir, are you okay? And no, no response. His eyes aren't open. My assumption is he's either overdosed and dead or really drunk. Either of which is not good. So I get on the phone, uh, call 17 where you work, right? <laughs> and says, uh, basically, guys, I've got, I've got a guy down. I can't get him to breathe or can't get him to do respond. And they're like, well, roll him over. So I grab his jacket and I start to roll him over. And he yells out, leave me alone. I'm sleeping, which freaked the crap out of me, to be honest with you. You think he's dead? Then he starts talking. Uh, so I leave him there. I said, I think he's doing, he's alive. I know he's not doing well. I mean, it looked like he'd fallen in his, in his late 60s. His face was all bloody. I said, can you just come and check on him? Of course they do. And the guys come and take care of him, and they get him to help and so forth and so on. But that's called engaging and being present in the neighborhood. There are ways that you're going to be present in this neighborhood that won't be comfortable. That won't be what you expect. That won't be the way you want to do it. But it's those people who God put in front of you that you have to go and respond to. Next level, three. Identify simple ways to practice ministry there. What are some simple ways you could practice your ministry in this neighborhood or where you live? Think about that. One is just saying hello, <laughs> making eye contact. That's very, very irrelevant and simple. But I have talked to enough homeless in my life to say the number one way you can make me feel like I am cared for is to make eye contact with me. We are taught not to make eye contact. We work a lot in sex trafficking. We teach our staff to be careful men when you're alone not to make eye contact in the car 
with a young lady on the street's corner because she will immediately walk over to your car. And then that's a very difficult situation that you're now in. Uh, but what happens when you don't? So there's a little bit of a smart sense of how you live your life here, and you have to learn how to live in the neighborhood. But most of the time, when you're dealing with people who nobody wants to be around, who are called the unlovely, one of the best ways you can tell them that they have value is to look them in the eye and say, good to see you today, how you doing? And they may say, not good, <laughs> but then the conversation begins. But I will tell you, be smart about that, particularly men. And I know this sounds like a, a warning symbol or signal, but I, I, there has to be some smartness to how you live your life in your neighborhood. The devil is also present. And he seeks to what? Kill and destroy. So we're in a battle here in ministry, and when we're doing these kinds of things, it's not just feel-good stuff. It's not just let's go be good people. Uh, it's good to be loving and to, good to be the warriors of Christ, but you have to know that there is a battle going on and the devil is fighting against you. He wants to seek you out and kill and destroy you as well as these people that are struggling in our neighborhood. Be smart about the battle because he is. <laughs> All right. Develop relationships with people of peace. I'm going to run this quickly because I, my time is tight today, but people of peace, what does that mean? One of the things we have learned by studying with a lot of folks that have done this and have come in and taught us new things is that everybody in your neighborhood aren't necessarily Christians. And I don't know if you figured that out yet or not, uh, but there are great people in your neighborhood, people of peace, which means they are good people trying to do good things, trying to help the neighborhood, trying to raise their family, trying to find a job, go to work, have a home, all those things. They just don't know Jesus. Find those people and start to create relationships with them because they are being sought out by the Holy Spirit. Don't you think the Holy Spirit is working on them? He is. People of peace are unbelievable gifts to you in the neighborhood. You need to find them and join them. And just living around them, they will meet Jesus with you. Over the years, we've had multiple people. Larry grows I'll say that my staff will laugh because he's he's a, a character in our team first moved into Price Hill two decades ago I walk literally onto Iliff Avenue to where we start our first after-school program a black gentleman walks out of his house next door and gets in my face and says you get out of my neighborhood we don't want any white people in our neighborhood leave and for the next three years that was our conversation but he did care about his neighborhood. He did care about his street. He did care about his family. Had a job, was working, wife who was white. So I said to him, you don't hate all white people. He didn't think that was very funny. Um, but nose to nose, day after day, Larry Groves and I did not see eye to eye. But he was a good man. And I was trying to do good things. And it took me probably five or six years to figure that out, that he was a good man. He did go to jail for three years. We helped work with his family. That's not, it is important, but it's not defining who he is. He gets out of jail probably 13 years ago, calls me on the phone in November that year and said, Hey, Dwight, 
I have a felony, and I can't work anywhere right now. Could I work for Block? <laughs> yeah, same response. Uh, no. <laughs> why, why would you want to work for Block? He says, because I believe you are good people, and you're the only opportunity I have right now. So that January, we, he, Larry is an unbelievable uh, southern chef, good man. Put him in charge working with our soup kitchen food pantry. Within six months, he was running that. Uh, over the last 13 years, he's helped start three or four of the food pantries, soup kitchens all over, the, all over the city area that we've been working with. He picks up food for block ministries almost on a daily basis with a group of volunteer guys from the neighborhood that you would never want to be in a van with, but are cool guys. Um, serves food just about to every group we have at some point through the week. Larry and I have lunch every Thursday together at his home. I eat at his table. Uh, my son and his son went to Cincinnati Christian University together, roomed together. I did his son's wedding. They all know Jesus, and we live life together on a daily basis. That's finding people of peace, even though they don't look always peaceful. And we laugh about those early years together, and he still makes fun of me, and I still laugh with him and make fun of him so it's okay but the Lord has done some amazing things with that relationship and you can find those people by just having an open heart and looking for people of peace they don't have to look like you sound like you believe like you they're just good people let's keep moving quickly here um, gather with people outside the building Talked about that a little bit. What does that look like more? We have a coffee shop, which is very simple to gather, right? A lot of you have been to the coffee shop, but weird things have happened the last 15 years at that coffee shop. It's, it is a gathering place. They call it the third place now. I guess that's the cool phrase. I'm sure not, still not sure what that means, but my coffee staff will always use that. Uh, but it is where people of all sorts gather. We have multiple religions come in our building a day. We have people from all over the neighborhood, from every, every uh, level of wealth and lifestyle that you can imagine walk in that door. Every age group walks in that door. You'll see prayer groups all over the place. You'll see tarot cards on the, uh, sometimes, which makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> Some, there, I, had, I have a one lady that teaches palm reading to her friends in there, and I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of dogs that walk in our building, which I'm not sure what to do with that either, <laughs> uh, which we allow, obviously, um, uh, and it's not a health issue, but it's just a strange place. Um, but we, we are doing what we call gathering with people outside the building, and we've been blessed to have that, and it is where most of the people meet us for the first time. They don't even have a clue who Block Ministries is. But it's just a gathering place. We can help create those. Across the street, Northern Row, one of my best friends owns that. Chris has met the guy. Just a loving guy. What a great place just to gather, right? You guys do that already. Just keep doing that kind of stuff. And that's where you meet the neighborhood. So turning, going back to secular into sacred. How do you do that in your neighborhood? How do you do that with your lifestyle? Think through these things. These are... Just a few of a thousand ways to do it. You will create stuff on your own that is much better than this. Many of you already are. I'm just encouraging you to think about it in a way 
that makes that sacred place, or excuse me, secular place sacred by bringing Jesus to the place. And you are Jesus in the flesh coming to that gathering. I'm going to close with this uh, verse. There's a book I love. It's called The Art of Man Fishing. I didn't title it. Okay. Uh, it's, it was originally in the 1700s that this book was produced. As a young preacher that fell in love with the Lord in the late 1600s, and this is kind of just a journal, his journal that they put together about the Matthew passage when Jesus says in Matthew uh, 4.19, if you remember this passage, Jesus says, follow me and I will what? I will make you fishers of men. There's a lot in this, and we've, I've done multiple sermons on this, so we're not getting into that, Chris. You're okay. I won't go too far. But I'm encouraging you this morning to learn to be irrelevant and to go be fishers of men. The, the common thought is how do we, and this is the phrase I use all the time, so if you want to write this down, this will be helpful. You're not called to fix the lake. You're called to fish for men. Get it? This is vital to what I'm saying about turning the secular into sacred. You're not going to fix poverty in this neighborhood. You're not going to fix prostitution. You're not going to take care of all the broken homes. But one at a time, you just go love people. Do not worry about fixing the lake. That's what the devil is calling you to do because that takes all your time and really doesn't accomplish anything. The scripture says, Jesus says, the poor you will have with you always. He doesn't say, work with the poor until you fix all of them and you don't have them anymore. Become fishers of men. And again, we can talk about fishing. How many of you have ever been fishing in your life? Just once. All right. How many of you are expert fishermen? Okay, I have two people. All right. What that means is it doesn't matter if you're expert or not. All of us are called to fish. There's not a believer in the room that isn't called by Christ to go fish for other men. Some of us are much better at it than others, but we all, throw out, we all throw out the line. That's just what we do. And there's a whole series of conversation about what fishing looks like. But the biggest thing I want you to get today is please don't feel like you have to fix this neighborhood. Not your calling. There's a guy that my wife and I bumped into his story when we were blessed to be given a gift to go to, to uh, Hawaii several years ago. His name is Father Damien. You can look this guy up. He was one of the most irrelevant priests you'll ever meet. But you know what his calling was? He wanted to go to Hawaii and only work with the leprosy colony. If you don't know much about leprosy, it's not a good disease. <clears throat> it starts to eat off parts of your body, literally, till it shuts down your organs and kills you. Most of the folks were being shipped to that island because, one, it was an island, and two of the weather. So they were trying to put everybody in one spot. This was in the late, uh, mid to late 1800s. And Father Damien said, I'm going to go to Hawaii and my job is going to be I'm going to work with the leper colony. And this is what the guy did. He spent 15 years of his life working with leprosy. And you know what he did? Let me read to you what he did. You've probably heard of this. During his time... 
He taught the people the faith. He also cared for the patients. He established leaders within the community to build houses, schools, roads, hospitals, churches. And this is what he did. He dressed residents' ulcers. Doesn't that sound exciting? He built reservoirs, made coffins. He dug graves. He shared pipes. He ate poi with them, provided medical and emotional help. For the first 11 years, he lived life with them until he caught the disease himself. And after he caught the disease, guess what he did? He just kept doing the same thing. The last picture we have of him, most of his nose is gone. Multiple fingers are gone. And he continues to dress wounds and love people until he dies in 1889, April the 15th. And he is known, (laughs) this is what I love, he is known as the patron saint of leprosy and outcasts. That's what I want to do. So I encourage you to go love people and be as irrelevant as you possibly can. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful to be called to look like Jesus who first loved us so that we might love him and everybody else. So Lord, bless us as a church as we go love people, as we go love this neighborhood and that we just be present and that we learn just to be obedient and to follow your lead and love, love, and love. In Jesus' name, amen.